Hello and welcome to Who Cares What's The Point, the podcast about the mind for people who think. My name is Saab Johal and this is episode number 25. This week I'm talking to Natasha Tassel Matamua, uh, a lecturer at the School of Psychology at Massey University in New Zealand. And today we're talking about the loss of the fear of death after a near-death experience. Some people report going through this sense of disembodiment if they go through this near-death experience, which could be prompted by all kinds of different things, such as car traffic accidents, or perhaps surgery, or perhaps uh, some kind of uh, heart episode in their lives. But what seems to be the case is that for those people who have this psychological experience, they seem to lose the fear of death which really should be one of the most profound of human anxieties. So listen to this conversation between myself and and Natasha uh, and see what you make of it. Um, Thank you for joining us on the show, Natasha. um, I always start with um, asking the question about how it is that you got involved in this line of research in the first place. Um, Well, uh, there's a bit of a history behind it, actually. Um, So I... I um, probably about seven years ago, um, I received a letter from someone who had had a near-death experience, um, and at the time I just thought out of interest, well, I'll just respond to him um, to let him know that yes, I'm interested in this area, but I wasn't really sure what sort of um, research could be done. Um, in the year at the time. Um, so I did respond to him and just, you know, say that I was interested in his experience and um, would like to know a little bit more. And when he responded to me again, he mentioned that another messy lecturer had already responded to him um, and gave me her name. Um, and her and I got together and realised we had a shared interest in um, sort of unusual experiences of of consciousness or altered states of consciousness. Um, So we decided to do some research together, um, just looking at near-death experiences in the New Zealand population, what they look like, who has them, are they similar or are they different um, to people from other cultures. And so that was the beginning sort of 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 the research. And then from there, I branched out into um, looking at specific areas related to near-death experiences, such as... um, the loss of the fear of death. Okay, yeah. So maybe a good place to start then would be to define what you what do you mean by a near death experience? What does that tend to consist of? Um, well, it's a bit of a misnomer, actually. The name. I mean, I think people can get a bit confused because they assume that the near death experience may just be where you simply came close to death and nothing else sort of happened, but when um, I'm talking about a near-death experience, I'm defining it as a um, sort of profound psychological experience where what we might consider to be the boundaries of of normal reality um, are transcended in some way. Um, So people will often report that they have some sort of, what we might, might call some sort of transcendental um, experience um, and this is often accompanied or, or these experiences usually occur in people who have had some sort of physiological 
um, incident which has made them physically close to dying or they may actually have have died and been resuscitated um, but essentially they report these these profound psychological experiences where the norms or currently accepted norms of reality tend to be um, contravened and these profound psychological experiences can be um, provoked by all kinds of different circumstances, including accidents to surgical procedures that people are, are undergoing, as well as um, big episodes of um, illness, mm. such as heart attacks. Yes, yeah, yeah. There, there's no one sort of experience that seems to be the catalyst for an Edith experience. So um, people who have who've had all sorts of critical incidents, I like to call them, um, like you say, heart attacks, people that have um, committed or attempted suicide, um, some people who have been giving birth um, and, and hemorrhaged or had some sort of incident which made them um, in physiological danger. There's a whole range of sort of um, incidents that have occurred, but essentially there's some, I guess, um, physiological threat um, to them which, which could um, lead to death um, or, or they, they may actually die and then they tend to report these these very unusual experiences of consciousness as a result so so the physiological event seems to be the catalyst for these experiences mm. and i think once you'd start d- digging around in, into the research around this and, and the history around this i think what you found was that these profound psychological experiences that may have been catalyzed by these physiological close shaves with death or mm. or some kind of physiological challenge they're, they're reported across across time and across different cultures as well. Yes, yeah, yeah. So um, there's, I mean, near-death experience research is still relatively young. Um, there's only been, a, a, I guess, a academic interest over the past 40 years. Um, but what we certainly do know, or researchers in the area do know, is that um, there seems to be evidence that across different cultures, um, throughout different stages of history, um, these experiences have been reported. So, I mean, there's a lovely um, local example from New Zealand of a Māori um, kuya or a Māori elder who reported um, an edith experience. And we're not entirely sure when that was, but at least um, I'm thinking within the past 80 to 100 years, but it was only recorded in the in the 70s um, when she was much older, but she'd had this experience when she was a young lady. So, I mean, even within our own sort of cultural context, we have examples, historical examples of these experiences, but certainly um, across other cultural contexts, um, they, they've definitely been reported. Um, and even though the term near-death experience has only really been coined, um, with, well, in the 70s, um, in the late 70s, it was coined by a guy called Raymond Moody. Um, so so there was a name to it, you know, from that point onwards. But even prior to that, there's certainly reports of what appear to be experiences that have the same or similar features as what present day um, reports have of near-death experiences. Mm. And, and, and as close as we can get to with some sort of definite definition rigour around this, mm. it does appear to be uh, not an uncommon experience. You know, how, how many, what, what sort of proportion of the population do we think mm. experience these profound psychological um, occurrences? 
Well, it's, it's really hard to say, and there, there has been some research to suggest that anywhere from between maybe about 5 up to about 20% of people who have um, a cardiac arrest and um, are resuscitated um, report a near-death experience. And there's some other research to suggest that between somewhere between maybe 4 to 9% of the general population, so people that haven't had... Um, haven't necessarily been hospitalised due to cardiac arrest, um, but for some other incident they've they've reported a near-death experience. But that that's only the reports. Um, and the the literature, and I guess as a researcher, you know, I, I tend to think that perhaps these experiences aren't reported, even though they're reported more often than what people may actually think. Um, I still think that they are probably underreported, and that might be because you know they they contravene our accepted norms of reality. And so, if you were to, I guess, go out there and say, "Look, I had one of these experiences," it might sort of place you in a position where um, a position where you might be subject to sort of criticism or ridicule or, or scepticism. So I, I think um, there probably is a large portion of people who don't report that they've had these experiences. Um, and I know certainly from my own research that when um, I had a lot of people, and still do actually have a lot of people ring me up and say, look, you're the first person I've ever told that this uh, that I've had this experience, um, you know, and some of them don't even tell their family or their partners, but they've rung and told me you're the first person I've told and I didn't want to tell anyone because um, they might think I'm crazy um, or they might think I've got some sort of mental illness. Uh, so I think um, although we have have some stats from previous research that suggests between 5 to 20% and 4 to 9% um, in terms of the general population report these experiences, the actual incidence of them might be a lot higher than, than what we currently know. Mm. It, it is fascinating that there may be this um, stigma associated with talking about these sorts of experiences. Mm. Cause, uh, and, and I guess that relates to how it is that we relate to death more generally mm. uh, and how we talk about that and, and how in Western cultures there does seem to be almost a, a, a taboo around discussing experiences a, a, around death because we've moved to this more of a, a mechanistic explanation mm -hmm. as we've become perhaps more secular yes. in, in our general beliefs. Yes, yeah, yeah, I agree. I think certainly in what we might uh, define to be Western cultures, um, I think there, there is this element of death denial um, you know, we don't talk about death. Um, we, we sort of steer care of it. We make sure it's sort of a sanitised um, process. And in many ways, you know, we we are set up as a culture, as a society, at least in Western cultures, Western societies, to um, fear death and deny it. Um, so when it comes to things like the, the near-death experience, this sort of seems to contravene many of our our widely held beliefs about death um, being annihilation or, or the end of something. Um, and, and yet people who have near-death experiences, you know, they will often say it's not the end. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I died um, and there was an aspect of me that lived on. So I think it's, yeah, it does make it um, the whole concept of talking about death in Western cultures a little bit more 
it's interesting, I think, um, because we have mm. prevailing beliefs about what death is, and it's a physiological process. And when we stop breathing, when we stop having any heartbeat, when our brainstem responses stop, we, you know, we believe that we die. And yet these experiences are saying, mm, no, not really sure that is the case after all. Mm. And these experiences, um, they tend to be experienced relatively positively by mm. the people who are having them. Yes, yeah, yep. Um, overwhelmingly, people who report the experiences um, do say that it is, is an overwhelmingly positive one. Um, and they'll often report having um, very positive um, emotions associated with the experience. Um, a lot of people say that it was very peaceful, it was very joyful um and a word that comes up a lot is is it was very loving um so there seems to be this really positive um effective component to near-death experiences which again i think that contravenes maybe some of our i'm not sure western norms but perhaps our our understandings around death being perhaps a little bit scary or a little bit um uh, unpleasant for people and people who have a near-death experience say no no that's that's not actually the case you know um, it is an overwhelmingly positive sort of experience or process hmm. I was just thinking about perhaps um, the stigma that we talked about around perhaps talking about these experiences in the first place mm. and I'm wondering what your view is perhaps there being a stigma around reporting this in a negative way as well so we we get to hear mm -hmm. about the positive experiences but we don't necessarily get to hear about the ones that aren't so positive yeah yeah and I, I think um, I think that's exactly right um, so we we do know that there have been reports, um, a very minimal amount of reports, um, where people say, well, actually, my experience wasn't wasn't that positive. Overwhelmingly, the positive experiences are reported. Um, but there certainly are people that report not so not so positive experiences. And what they usually say is that, well, you know, they were quite confused or they were quite scared by the experience at first because um, it um, – sort of contravened a lot of their, their norms of what um, they maybe thought death was like, all their norms of everyday reality. So it became quite a scary thing for them. Um, but on reflection, those that do report um, the, the less positive experiences do tend to say, well, actually, after a while when I relaxed, you know, um, the experience became a lot more positive. It was just scary and confusing at first. Um, and the interesting thing, um, what we do know about those that report, that have reported not so pleasant experiences is that the after effects do still seem to be the same as people who report positive near-death experiences. So um, there's something about these experiences which, which lead to, you know, these positive after effects, whether the experience is overwhelmingly positive um, or not. But but certainly I think there, there probably is a stigma around um, perhaps reporting um, a near-death experience that isn't as positive and maybe people feel that, well, if I go back and report that, you know, this this negative experience happened to me, maybe that 
means something about me as a person. Maybe I'm not not as good or not as worthy of having a positive experience. I'm not sure. Um, but it could also be reti- uh, tied into some sort of religious beliefs about the afterlife as well um, and the type of person you are in this life and what your experience will be about when you die. So I think there are a multiple of reasons why people might under-report um, a less than positive near-death experience. There's a couple of things there that um, I'd like to talk about. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about the the consequences of having these sorts of experiences and what, what happens to people afterwards. Mm. But just before we get onto that, you mentioned um, pre-existing beliefs or attitudes that people may have mm. before they go into the, these experiences. Is, is there any um, research or evidence um, showing that Perhaps, I don't know, people with religious beliefs mm. uh, are more likely to have this or make sense of this in a different way compared to people that perhaps don't share those beliefs. Yeah, yeah there has been research looking at people. Um, and, of course, I mean, one of the one of the difficult things about um, near-death research is that a lot of the research is retrospective um, because of the, I guess, the unpredictable um, nature of these experiences we can't because there's no demographic characteristics that have been reliably linked to um, who has an near-death experience we, we don't know when they're going to occur we don't know who's going to have them there's, there's just nothing to sort of pin it down so they can happen to anyone sort of at any time um, but certainly there has been research that has looked at people who held religious beliefs prior to their near-death experience um, or, or whether there's um, a, I guess, a stronger um, incidence of those with previous religious beliefs having these experiences? And the answer is essentially no. Um, religious orientation has no effect on, on who has these experiences. It also doesn't appear to have an effect on what people actually experience during their experience. So a lot of the features that people um, report, such as, you know, for example, seeing a a being of light or a bright light, um, the features appear to be very similar across experiences. But in, um, like you mentioned, in making sense of the experience, people may draw upon their existing um, sort of, linguistic references or their existing cultural references to interpret or make sense of the experience. Um, so people who are, for example, have a particular religious orientation, they might report the being of light if they saw one as Jesus or as God um, or as Buddha, um, depending on their orientation. But at the same time, there have also been reports of people who have held a particular religious orientation prior to their near-death experience, but then used different, um, or I guess, uh, different language, I guess you could say, um, from other religious orientations to interpret it. So, for example, someone who has previously been Christian will say, well, actually, I, I saw this being of light and I think it was Buddha. Um, so, so religious orientation seems to be, um, doesn't give us any more hints as to who will have an exp- uh, these types of experiences or how they will interpret them. Um, but more often than not, people will just rely on their existing um, frames of reference, I guess, to interpret the experience or interpret the features in a particular way. Mm. 
so we have all these different experiences that that people are um, are having, mm-hmm. uh, and they're making sense of it in different ways. Although it doesn't seem to change the fundamental features of what it is that they're experiencing. No. Um, some of the consequences you you mention in your paper, uh, I mean, they're they're across a, across a range. Mm. Things like uh, terminating relationships or changes of employment. Mm. But there is a there is a real sense that there's um, a coalescence around one core experience, which is this loss of fear of death. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that seems to be the most widely reported um, what we call after effect of a near-death experience. Um, so people will, will typically say, more often than not, um, and in some studies it has been 100% of participants have said that they've they've had a complete loss. You know, after their near-death experience, they, they say, look, I'm just no longer afraid of dying. Um, so this seems to be quite a powerful um, effect that people have, and it seems to be instantaneous. Um, so studies have certainly looked at immediately after um, people who have been interviewed immediately after having a cardiac arrest while in hospital, um, they'll report report this loss of the fear of death straight away. Um, so it's, it's really interesting that, that a near-death experience is so powerfully transformative. I mean, if we think about things like uh, terror management theory, you know, that sort of proposes that our fear of death is perhaps our most existential fear that we have, and yet having a near-death experience can change that um, immediately. You know, sometimes these experiences may last only a matter of minutes, um, even seconds, and yet they can have such a profound impact. Um, so it's a really interesting after effect and one that I, I'm really interested in finding a lot more about. Um, I can say that the loss of the fear of death, people may, they often say, well, I, I'm still concerned about how I will die. I mean, obviously they don't, no one wants out a, uh, no one wants a prolonged sort of dragged out death or something that's, that's not very pleasant. I'm sure most of us would like to just fall asleep and that, that sort of be it. Um, so they, there is still this this concern that they have about how they will die, but they're not concerned about the process of dying. So what happens psychologically um, whilst they're dying, they're not concerned about that. So it's really, really interesting um, sort of after effect, I think, of these experiences. Mm. So we know a little bit about the what the experience may be like, the main features of that, mm-hmm. and what the, what sorts of things follow on from an experience like that, such as loss of fear of death, mm-hmm. but also significant changes to perhaps values or life goals and, mm-hmm. and how it is that people live their lives. Mm-hmm. What sort of um, ideas do we have and evidence do we have around what the mechanisms as to how these effects might um take place um mm. so things like are, are there particular features of a near-death experience that are necessary for um these changes to take place um according to the research that's been done to date um no i mean there's no particular feature that will result in a particular after effect um as far as we can ascertain but there is um, there's actually a, a tool for measuring near-death experiences um, called the Near-Death Experience Scale, funnily enough. Um, and that measures the, um, the features of the experience and how intense they were. And what, we, what research does show is that people that have what we call deeper 
near-death experiences. So the the experience seems to be um, more intense and the features appear to be, um, there's a greater uh, quantity of features. Um, Those people tend to undergo the most significant change. So the... the, um, both in the loss of the fear of death, but also the other after effects that can occur. So it seems the deeper your experiences, the more features you have, that that seems to um, create, I guess, a greater level of change. But in terms of the the loss of the fear of death, um, you know, that particular after effect, we don't know exactly what it is that leads to this this change, although I've sort of theorised that, Maybe there are particular features that might be um, associated with with why um, people lose their fear of death. Um, so one of them I've sort of suggested, well, maybe if people have an out of body experience um, where they uh, during their near death experience, so where they feel as though their their consciousness or they they feel they have some sort of conscious abilities. Um, that are external from their physical body. Um, and when people po- report an out-of-body experience, they'll often say, well, I could see myself sort of lying down, um, you know, in the hospital or, or wherever they are, and I could see people trying to resuscitate me. So they, they have this accurate perception of what's happening, even though they're very aware or, or even though their their perception of it is removed from their physical body, um, which again is really, really interesting. And I think perhaps if people have that particular feature occurring during their near-death experience, um, maybe that plays a part in them losing their fear of death. Um, and I say that because maybe uh, they they feel, if they've left their physical body, maybe they feel that, oh, okay, so there's a conscious aspect of me that, that can exist external to my physical body. And maybe that that helps them to sort of lose that fear of death by thinking, well, I can exist um, beyond my physical body. So I think maybe that's one element, the out-of-body experience. I think the the positive affect that's associated with these uh, these experiences, so maybe feeling joy, peace, love, happiness, um, if you feel that during your near-death experience, perhaps that may make you feel a bit better about dying as well. Um, if you're able to see it as a positive emotional experience, and that may may lead to the loss of the fear of death. Um, I also think there's a, another element that people can report, and that's meeting deceased others during their near-death experience. Um, and deceased, they're usually deceased significant others, so they could be a partner, um, a child, a grandparent, an uncle and auntie, a parent. Um, and they'll often report, well, I met, you know, my mother and we were communicating and then she sent me back, you know, um, back to my physical body. But I think, you know, whatever they report, I think the feature of seeing a deceased other might also perhaps provide some sort of rationale for believing that there is some sort of existence post physical body um, and maybe that also plays a part in the loss of the fear of death as well so even though there's no conclusive um, sort of research evidence I think um, well I've at least proposed that there are a number of features which may may be important to this loss of the fear of death hmm I'm, I'm wondering Natasha we you've 
given a really nice summary as the possible features mm. that may influence the, the consequences of these experiences. Um, but why should we care about this? Um, what, what's the point of, of researching this? Where, where does it lead us? Mm-hmm. Well, I think there are a number of a number of possible sort of rationales for why these experiences are important. Um, and I think, first of all, um, we're all going to die at some stage. Um, so whether we like it or not, or whether we try and sort of avoid it in all sorts of ways, it's going to happen to all of us at some stage. And I think perhaps a near-death experience, even though we can't, we don't necessarily understand, one, whether it can be, um, whether it's objectively real, um, but then in some ways does do we have to really know that if it's a person's subjective experience um, and they're saying this is what it's like and so many people have reported it, um, then the reality of it or not is in some ways irrelevant. Um, I think what we really need to focus on is, well, what can these experiences tell us? And if, if the process of dying is as positive as people who have near-death experiences say it is, well, then maybe um, it can tell us a little bit about, you know, the psychological stages of what happens when people die. And I think learning more about that could be really useful um, in certain health settings. So, for example, um, palliative care or people with life-limiting illnesses, um, perhaps learning about the near-death experience and what happens in people's stories of being close to death and coming back, perhaps that might provide a bit of comfort um, to those who are in terminal situations, you know, uh, where they have a life-limiting or a terminal illness, um, you know, they are facing death very imminently. Um, and perhaps learning a little bit more about the near-death experience might provide some comfort um, leading into that, into their um, final stage of life. Um, so I think that's a really important implication. And indeed, there's been a little bit of research to suggest, um, well, where it's been found that people um, with a terminal illness who have learnt about near-death experiences have reported that um, it's eased their their situation or their feelings towards their situation and their illness. Um, I also think um, people who are recently bereaved, there's uh, a small amount of research that suggests people who who are recently bereaved who have learned about near-death experiences have also reported that their grief um, has been, or the process of grief has... um, sort of been assisted in a positive way by learning about near-death experiences. Again, why? Um, I'm, I'm not sure, but I think, you know, there are implications that perhaps if we learn a little bit more about these experiences and what they mean or what they mean to people who have them, that might be useful um, in that sort of area as well. So certainly I think those who are with life-limiting illnesses and recently bereaved people, I think we should learn more about these experiences and perhaps look at ways that we can utilise the knowledge that we have about near-death experiences as therapeutic tools uh, for for those particular populations. Um, But going back to the fact that we're all going to die at some stage, um, certainly learning a little bit more about near-death experiences might be useful for all of us. you know, we spend a lot of time um, throughout life celebrating certain certain milestones, marriage, engagements, births, birthdays, um, and we prepare for them in particular ways. And I think 
death, you know, as morbid as it may sound, it's one of those milestones that we'll all reach. So perhaps the near-death experience can help us um, prepare for for our own deaths in a more accepting way rather than in a um, in our current fashion where we, we tend to deny it or try to ignore death. Um, so I think there are those things that we can learn from the near-death experience. Um, but, but more generally, um, people who have these experiences, they tend to report these positive after effects. Why is it that an experience that can last, you know, it's often very fleeting, can have such profound positive psychological effects on people? Perhaps if we learn a little bit more about near-death experiences, they could be useful um, in terms of uh, helping people psychologically, perhaps people with depression, for example, um, or people with particular uh, particular ailments. Maybe learning about these experiences um, may have a similar effect as, as to what having these experiences might have. Um, and I've recently done a study which um, looked at people who learned about near-death experiences, whether there were any sort of psychological benefits of learning about them, learning about a near-death experience if you haven't had one. And uh, very quickly, the the um, results suggested that, yes, there are, there are positive psychological benefits to learning about them. So, again, that, it opens up all sorts of interesting avenues um, that can be explored um, in this particular area. Uh, yeah, I think I remember reading in the paper um, – one of the uh, research uh, papers that you reviewed said that even the most advanced and empirically established psychological therapies struggle to elicit the same effect as a near-death experience in terms of the significant and pervasive psychological shift mm-hmm. that occurs for those that experience them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as far as I understand, you know, we, we pour in um, – a lot of money, maybe not as much as what we need to, but certainly a lot of funding is, is sort of funneled into um, mental health and ensuring or at least trying to assist people to achieve a particular quality of life. Um, and yet are, are these, are these um, I guess, treatment modalities always successful? Not always. Um, and I don't think that's suggesting anything about the treatment itself but perhaps perhaps there are other things that we can explore maybe the near-death experience as radical as it sounds maybe it's one of those things that could be really useful um, because of the profound and almost immediate psychological shifts um, that can take place from having these experiences and as I mentioned um, the study that I did um, which I'd like to continue sort of researching in this area the study that I did even suggests learning about these experiences seems to have very similar effects Um, so I think there's something in it you know there's something about these experiences which can create these profound psychological shifts um, in people. And even if we don't currently understand how that happens, we know it does happen. And I think that's something that, um, you know, that we should look at pursuing a little bit further. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. My name is Saab Johal. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at WCWTP or myself at Saab. That's S-A-R-B. 
You can find us on Facebook uh, and you can find us at whocareswhatsthepoint.com. Please send us email, contact at whocareswhatsthepoint.com uh, and it'd be great to hear from you. Until then, join us next week on Who Cares What's the Point. Who cares what's the point?